The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. Yeah, busy weekend for the Prime Minister. He's been having talks uh, with uh, Ursula von der Leyen. We're getting more and more uh, rumours of this deal being imminent. We got that last week, but it seems like it's not happening today or the beginning of this week, does it? It's uh, it's like it's shifting. Uh, yeah, this is the deal on Northern Ireland, which would change the protocol. Of course, Northern Ireland actually has been the beneficiary of having one foot in the UK, one foot in the EU trading systems. But as you say, the Prime Minister trying to get what seems like an impossible task done to change the narrative, the relationship between the UK and the EU by getting an agreement to change, alter that protocol bill. Yeah, that was certainly uh, one of the key issues. Um, Also, though, he was at the Munich Security Conference. Yeah, so much uh, uh, under discussion there. Of course, all focusing around Ukraine. Uh, We can speak to Maria today in a moment, our our correspondent who interviewed the Prime Minister at the conference. But of course, you know, the the war and uh, the future of the war really key focus there. It is almost exactly a year now since the uh, invasion uh, took place and no end in sight really to that. No, the pressure is on to deliver more weaponry. Also, it looks as if there are moves around China and what sort of involvement there could be further involvement in terms of China supporting the war in Russia. The Americans have obviously warned severely against that eventuality. But then also, I think you've got real difficulties for Rishi Sunak, who actually came out really strongly um, to support Ukraine and to offer Britain's support to Volodymyr Zelensky and his troops. And yet then you have the intervention from the likes of Boris Johnson. Really, really difficult that Rishi Sunak is getting uh, advice on diplomacy from Boris Johnson, <laughs> advice on economic policy from Liz Truss. <laughs> yeah, and that phrase from the uh, leader of the House of Commons from Penny Mordaunt that uh, Boris will be Boris. What, what, what do you make of that, Caroline? Look, that just made me sigh, right? It's reminiscent to my mind of boys will be boys. I thought we had moved on from that conversation of sort of forgiving people their bad behaviour simply because they are what they are, a boy or something else. Um, you know, I think that's immensely difficult, but maybe it was her way out of a difficult question. Yeah, and as uh, producer James uh, mentioned earlier, Boris being Boris uh, did end up rather stickily Uh, for the former Prime Minister because he lost his job. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, let's hear now from uh, that uh, Munich Security Conference where the Prime Minister was speaking to our Europe correspondent, Maria Tadeo. It's clear that the security guarantees, the architecture that was in place before this war has failed Ukraine. 
Right? That's just a statement of fact. Uh, Ukraine had received assurances when it gave weapons up. Russia has continually violated, whether it's human rights treaties or indeed arms control treaties. So what happened before has not worked. So we should be clear about that. And now our job is to look forward and say, what's the right thing going forward? Now, as I mentioned, Jens Stoltenberg has said, NATO, you know, well, Ukraine will be a member of NATO. But between now and then, what I think we need to work on are providing Ukraine with the means to win the war right now. And that means very specifically artillery, long-range weapons, armoured vehicles, air defence. That's the most critical thing. What we can also do is make sure that we're training Ukraine on NATO standard equipment. That's what we're doing when it comes to aircraft with their pilots. Uh, but I think what we do need to do is think about the future of how we protect Ukraine's security. And we need to have that conversation with our allies and talk about the longer-term provision of supporting Ukraine. And that's the conversation that I think we should start having because the Vilnius summit is a good place to conclude that. So this year, so the assurances would come this year. I wonder, there has been a lot of debate. You talked about the fighter jets. Uh, there has been a lot of debate here about the ammunition, the risk that they may not have enough ammunition, but also the long-range missiles. There's concern that perhaps one of the targets would be Crimea. Under your watch as UK Prime Minister, would you approve of long-range missiles that could hit Crimea? I think, I think the most important thing here to recognize is, it actually starts with NATO. What is NATO? NATO is a defensive alliance. Mm -hmm. right? That's the first thing to recall. What is Ukraine doing? Ukraine is trying to defend itself. Mm -hmm. right? It is suffering unprovoked aggression. Its territorial integrity, its sovereignty has been violated. Its people are being killed. And it has every right to defend itself. And that's what we should be doing. And that's the support that we collectively in this room are, are providing. And critically, there are things that Ukraine needs to gain that decisive advantage on the battlefield. That's why the provision of heavy tanks was so important. That's why air defense is absolutely critical. You're right to mention artillery. And longer range weapons also help. Uh, now, those are all the things that will allow Ukraine to defend itself and repel Russian aggression. And indeed, yes to have a counter-offensive that moves Russia outside of its own country. I think that's entirely reasonable, and we should be fully behind Ukraine in that ambition and want that ambition to succeed. And for them, the entire country means Crimea, as you know uh, very well. Uh, in your speech, there was a lot of bravado in the sense of Ukraine has to win the war and Russia has to be proven wrong. Vladimir Putin has to lose uh, this war. Some would say, and you make it clear, you still believe the UK is a big geopolitical agent. Zelensky obviously went to London. He sees value in the UK, but some here would believe to really be the strong geopolitical agent, you need to solve the pending issues that you have with the EU. I know you probably know this question is coming. There's a frenzy of reports that you do have a deal over the Northern Irish Protocol that could come Monday, potentially. Do you have a deal? Does it come Monday? And I wonder beyond that, does it reflect your wish that you want to have a normal working relationship with your European allies? So Lots of things in there to, to unpack. I think that the first thing to say, when it comes to the issue of the Northern Ireland Protocol, there are real issues that need resolving. The way that the protocol has been implemented, it's causing very real challenges for families, for people, for businesses on the ground. Very practical difficulties, and they need to be resolved. But that also there's an issue of the democratic deficit that sits at the heart of the protocol as it's currently constructed. Now, those are the things that we need to resolve. And... I'm working very hard together with my ministerial colleagues, foreign secretaries in the audience, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. You know, we are working very closely together. We're engaging in those conversations with 
the European Union. Next week, potentially? All the time, and we have been for a while. But what I'd say is there is still work to do. I think there is still work to do. There are still challenges to work through. We have not resolved all these issues. No, there there isn't a deal that has been done. There there is an understanding of what needs to be done. It's the issues that I outlined. And James was in in Brussels yesterday. I've been in Northern Ireland talking to parties there about the things that we need to fix. Uh, We're working through those. We're working through them hard. And we will work through them intensely with the EU. But we are by no means done. There is no deal that is done. There's work to do. And that's what we will set about doing. So Maria is with us now, uh, having heard from your interview. I actually thought it was a very fluent and fluid prime minister that we heard. Robust questioning that you you put to him. What did you take away from that panel, Maria? I think he's very comfortable when it comes to the war in Ukraine. It's a narrative that suits the UK. And we've seen it repeatedly, right? Uh, No matter who the prime minister is, it's always this bravado that comes into place. And Russia has to lose and Ukraine has to win. And Ukrainians, by the way, uh, they really love it. You know, by the end of the panel, there were members or or a number of members of the Ukrainian parliament who actually took the mic and just said, we love the UK. Uh, Thank you for the leadership and everything that you do for Ukraine. One of them even had a sweatshirt um, who wanted to essentially give it as a gift to the Prime Minister. That was completely different to what the reaction that some of the other European leaders uh, would get. I think that they like obviously the bravado. They like the sound of it. They like the optics. I guess if you go into the details of it you could actually argue the European Union is doing more than the UK is on practical levels and on a practical basis and this idea of joining one day the EU is fundamental to you Ukraine, but there is a bravado that plays well, and I think the Prime Minister really tapped into that. He said, or he told me, essentially, the war is now at this inflection point. If you really believe that democracy has to win and succeed, this is a time for the West to double down. He, again, repeated... He's not excluded any type of aid uh, to Ukraine. I asked him, but what about Crimea and the long-range missiles? Is that something that you would approve of? There's concern that that may lead to severe escalation of this war. And essentially, he said Ukraine has a right to claim back its territory, which is a reference to a yes uh, on that. So Ukraine, very comfortable when it comes to everything else. There's always a Brexit reference in, in any chats that I have with UK officials. For some reason, this is still very active. And you realize also when you switch from Brussels yeah. to this UK perspective, just how alive it is in the UK still is an issue. M- Maria, Rishi Zanak is relatively untested on, on, on the world stage, I think. What's your impression of, of how he came across at this, this big summit? Uh, admittedly, as you say, it was in you know rather favor- a favorable light from a Ukrainian point of view. Yeah, from the Ukrainian point of view, I think uh, he knew that sticking to that narrative of Ukraine wins, Russia loses, of course, is going to get a lot of praise. Again, you know, what I would stress is it also the details of this uh, matter, but the optics, I think he's found already from Boris Johnson, Liz Truss also did the same thing. There is a narrative that works and they just repeat uh, that formula. Uh, In terms of the United Kingdom and its place in the world, look, they had a big delegation that was there. Uh, The numbers of, uh, well, members of cabinet members who were also there, uh, I had from where I heard from another official who was not from the UK, he was a European delegation, who said it's a change in tone. I mean, they're taking yeah. this seriously. They're back in Munich with okay. a ton of people. And you also asked about a Brexit deal. From the European perspective, are we any closer? 
Look, from a European perspective, and I think even from his perspective, because he told me there is no deal that would come on the Monday. And, you know, Monday is the start of the week, and he told me there's no deal. It's not been made. There are real issues that we need to work on, referring to both sides, the UK, but also the EU, and knowing very well that he also needs to sell this deal in okay. Northern Ireland. In terms of does he want a deal, to me it was clear, yes. I mean, I asked him repeatedly, is this the beginning potentially of a normal working relationship with the European Union? And he told me, could be and is that is there a wish also to have this functioning relationship after so many years of tension and he told me yes in yes. reality the united kingdom left the eu but it not it did not leave europe and essentially will be key for european security in the future The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. So with Nicola Sturgeon leaving from bench politics, Keir Starmer was in Edinburgh yesterday speaking at the Scottish Labour conference, making an appeal to SNP voters to back his party. Well, let's discuss that and the day's other big issues with Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam, Olivia Blake. Olivia, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. I want to start off speaking to you about the strikes taking place today. Ambulance workers are walking out today. Junior doctors announcing their first ever strikes uh, for next month. But the government in Scotland has managed to avoid strike action by offering NH workers a much better deal on pay. Would that be Labour's approach as well? Well, I think what's been quite clear is we're now three months into these health strikes across a number of different areas, like you said, and we haven't had a single moment of negotiation uh, from the government on trying to get a resolution to this. So I think people will probably be looking on with confusion as to why that is. It's quite clear that they are not just striking about pay and conditions, but also about um, what's happening in the NHS. You know, I've been on the picket line with ambulance workers explaining to me how difficult it is at the moment to make sure that people are getting the support that they need on the days where there is no strikes. Um, I've spoken to nurses who are working on wards where their staffing levels are at critical levels. They're really relying on agency workers and what that means is people don't feel safe at work and that of course leads to patients not feeling safe either so i think that that, that's the key question for government is why they're not negotiating and what Mm. they're going to do to make it a better place to work and a better place for patient safety 
The thing is, though, you can almost feel the power um, of the Conservatives, their, their grip on power slipping away by the week. I mean, this may well end up being Labour's problem. You know, the NHS is going to be hugely difficult to fix. We don't know how much money, for example, Labour would put towards increasing pay for those workers. I mean, this could end up you know, on your doorstep if we believe the polls in that Labour could lead the country in 18 months, two years' time. Well, absolutely. And I bring on an election as soon as possible, in my view. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, that would be a great issue to have because of what we've seen over the last uh, decade is underfunding of our NHS, massive reorganisations within our NHS, which have been really wasteful, actually, and actually really scary statistics around um, lots of different conditions getting worse. Um, you know, our rates on cancer survival, you know, I'm a biomedical scientist by background, are really poor when you compare them to other countries. So there's a lot of work to be done to help improve the health of our um, constituents up and down the country, but also to fix our NHS. And I would, I think that Labour, as the party that created our NHS, uh, are the people to really sort it out. But right here and now, Olivia, we need on... the government to get around the negotiating table uh, to sort this out and make sure that staff feel listened to. It's not enough to clap for carers and clap for nurses and then not not pay up essentially. Olivia, on reorganisations, West Streeting, your Labour Labour Party's health spokesman, says that uh, reform is not a conservative word. Do you th- do you think he's planning a big reorganisation of the NHS, a big reform? I think that there are issues within the NHS that need looking at, and Wes has set out quite clearly uh, where his focus will be, which is around general practice and access. Um, access to serve primary care, which, you know, has become really challenging for people. You know, I've got constituents who can't get an appointment in, within the month, never mind two weeks or or the next day. You know, it's really quite critical. I've got dental um, dental cases as well in my casework where people have lost their dentist because their dentists have quit practice and there's just no one else for them to go to. So there's obviously a lot of issues within the NHS that need looking at. Uh, yeah. and, need, and we need to be ambitious with that and we want to make sure that we have the best healthcare service in the world that, that is there for people when they need it. Yeah, we're a long way from that now. I mean, Keir Starmer, though, has been very clear that a Labour government would not rejoin the single market or allow more EU immigration. Fundamentally, that is a major challenge for the NHS and for the rest of the economy because it's about workers. Um, there's not much that separates you and the Tories on that. Well, I think, you know, it's been quite clear that um, during the process of Brexit, carers were not considered key workers. And that, that to me, was quite um, shocking during the Brexit negotiations, especially when we got to the pandemic and they were essentially seen as skilled workers and care workers, obviously are. Um, it's a very difficult job. But I think that um, in terms of the NHS, we've had a workforce issue for years and years. And I sit on the Public Accounts Committee and we... Scrutinised, but it's been made incredible. It's been made far worse by Europe, though. Yeah, but it's been made far worse by Europe. I mean, absolutely, there are working and um, the shortages of workers up and down the country in, in a variety of different sectors, and health is one of those absolute key ones. Um, and it's really important that we get that right. We need to be training more nurses, more doctors as well, which is what Labour's plans are around. We want to make sure that we have capacity there for people who want to come into the NHS and work, having those opportunities to train. Because at the moment, um, we have very competitive slots for doctors. We have 
you know, students who are getting straight A grades that aren't able to get into medical school. And um, we have nursing and um, professionals that want to want to advance. And we don't see that as often as we'd like to as well. So I think it's about making the whole sector much more um, much more attractive, um, but also making sure that when people get into work, that they don't quit after five years, which is exactly what's happening with um, ambulance staff. We've seen a huge uptick in people leaving after mm. they've trained because they just can't quit it because the job itself is so stressful. So we need a plan for both training, but getting more people into the NHS, bridging that gap and using um, using the workforce in, in, in a way that, that works for them. Um, Olivia, and I want sure to... I want to ask you about the Scottish Labour Conference. Keir Starmer speaking there in Edinburgh yesterday. What can Labour offer Scottish voters that they can't get from the SNP, particularly now that your policy on Europe is, is really just Tory light? Well, I don't agree with that. I think that we're quite clear what we want to do um, with Brexit. We want to make sure that we are um, doing simple things like getting a veterinary agreement in place because that's really holding up. Um, holding up people being able to trade. But what Labour can offer Scotland is a Labour government nationally. Um, and if you want to get rid of the Conservative government, we're going to have to have a Labour government. So I'd say to any Scottish voters, please vote for us at the next election so we can get rid of this Tory government, which has been so painful for so many people. The SNP can't do that. They can't deliver that. We can. We want to make sure that we're going to the next election with the best possible chance of having a different government, and that should be a Labour government. So please support us. Okay, what do you think if the SNP do make the next general election? Not guaranteed, but there's this discussion around whether they make the next general election a de facto referendum on Scottish independence. I mean, that could completely sort of blow up the the Labour line. Uh, Probably not as cynical as that. I think that they recognise that this isn't a referendum vote. This is about who rules in Westminster, essentially, and who gets to set up a government. Um, And I think that, you know, it would be be disingenuous of the SNP to to kind of frame it like that. Um, We need to make sure that we're working as hard as we can up and down the country for all the different communities, which is why we've set out our plans around devolution. Um, Gordon Brown's been working on a great commission that you can read. It's quite hefty, but we're really serious about bringing power to local communities, whether that's in Scotland, Wales, or in regions as well. Um, you know, as a Northern MP, that, that actually really excites me because I think far too many decisions are taken in Westminster at the moment. And we do want to see powers and that economic um, brilliance being unlocked up and down the country. Um, which is when the UK does really, really well, is when we're firing on all cylinders and have that capacity for local leaders to be making decisions. And that's what Labour will offer, is much more powers, much more say locally, um, whether that's at a regional, national or um, a sub-regional level. You said that getting rid of the Tories is the number one priority. One of the things that Keir Starmer is keen to do is to prove that the Labour Party has changed. And as part of that, he said that Jeremy Corbyn will not be a Labour candidate at the next election. Do you think that's that's the right decision? I mean, that's a, that's a matter for Keir, I would say. And I think that, you know, I believe, and this is my personal belief, that Labour is always strongest when we're a broad church and when we include all the voices of our movement from right across the party. So I hope that in the, in the run-up to the next election, we get the best and brightest ideas into our manifesto for how we can solve the biggest crises of, of our generation 
which you know will be around the climate change, the cost of living crisis, what we're going to do to shape our economy so it's fairer for people. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I hope that this won't just be a debate about individuals, but actually about a vision that transforms our country uh, and that makes those big changes that people are calling out for as they're struggling to heat and eat. Um, and also thinking about what their children are going to face in the future. OK, Olivia, thank you so much for being with us. That is a Labour's MP for Sheffield, Hallam, Olivia Blake there talking to us. So um, interesting her take, I think, on Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you know, is Corbyn going to end up having to stand as an independent? I think that's quite interesting. Uh, she, she talked about it being a question for the Labour leader, Keir mm. Starmer. Yeah, I don't think he's committed to that yet has he but but i think there's there is a chance that he will stand on the next election Corbyn. and the yeah and the lead, labor leader has been very clear that he will not stand with a labor rosette so that could be an interesting race in islington north yeah absolutely and also what is going to end up into in that labor party manifesto i think it's all well and good talking about you know needing to train more doctors and nurses but i think if the money is not there uh, that's you know immensely difficult and also the point that olivia Ma- blake made there about leveling up or about kind of devolved powers and Gordon Brown working on it. Bloomberg's analysis of levelling up shows that it hasn't worked. It's been an utter failure. You know, the, the, the poorer parts of the country have not been levelled up. So what is the point of devolved government, you know, would be my question, mm. if it actually doesn't bring greater prosperity and local decision makers you know, don't have enough influence over creating more local prosperity. Yeah, of course, because Gordon Brown has instigated this enormous review of constitutional issues, and that will be a big thing for the Labour government to get its head around uh, next time, on top of uh, all the other stuff and all the problems with money and lack of. Okay, that's it from us for today. If you like this programme, don't forget you can subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and Ruval Hussain has been back on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 